I felt different too. Felt as though my soul had been dislodged from whatever cavern in our chest the soul was connected to. I felt loose, disconnected. I looked out at the sagebrush. The colors looked different, sharper. Looked up at the sky. The clouds seemed to race above us, as if new rules applied to time and space above me. I looked back at my father, and I studied his eyes. Looked deep into them. That's when I knew I was going to die. Welcome to Pod Clubhouse's coverage of 1883, a prequel series to Yellowstone. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're discussing the penultimate episode of Season 1 of 1883, Episode 9. Episode 9 was called Racing Clouds. Tonight's episode was written by Taylor Sheridan and once again was directed by Ben Richardson. Just a community note, please join us on Facebook in the Yellowstone 1883 and 46's discussion and news group to discuss 1883 and the whole universe of Yellowstone shows. And we're going to have to expand that, include 1932. This was a big week. This was a big week for the Yellowstone universe. We have season, season two renewal news, though... I have been harping on this point. The official press release doesn't really call it a season two renewal. It just says more episodes ordered, which I know fishy as as like longtime podcasters. Things aren't usually written that way. When when we heard it, I was like, wait, what? No, because season two renewal or renewal, like new season renewal is a big buzzword for SEO, for Internet searching, for people to get excited about. So calling it. I mean, I, I posted More the press episodes. release at uh, Pop Culture Review, uh, our written our written sister site. Uh, you could read it yourself. It says has ordered more episodes of, which makes it seem like it's not going to be a full season. That's my feeling is it's going to be a bridge season to wrap up this story and then connect it to 1932, which mm-hmm. was also ordered in that same press release. It was a big day for Taylor Sheridan. A lot of shows greenlit, but for Yellowstone fans, uh, it was this more episodes ordered of 1883. And then a new series ordered 1932, continuing the Dutton Yellowstone origin story. It's going to take place during Prohibition and the Great Depression and continuing presumably the children of this generation that we're watching now's story as as fully grown adults. So interesting, Uh, really interesting news. Uh, It really throws a wrench 
in in the plans i assume that the show was going to run for three four seasons i can't yeah. see that happening though no i see us like it's it feels more like stepping stones like we're just going to be jumping from like one right. stone to the next that's going to hopefully work for audiences i mean i think in some way it keeps it more dynamic more exciting more energetic um and it also allows each of these small stones if you will like 1883 to be extremely bold extremely crazy and wild in what happens if they only have to do like 10 or 12 episodes and i think it invests you more in the dutton yellowstone ranch story than a particular character also you know i I think the announcement in 1932 it shifts my point of view of oh okay so maybe the point isn't getting so wrapped up in james and margaret or elsa or john or spencer or whoever and more about the journey and more just to echo last week's theme that it's more about the journey and and the story of how they got to where they are in the modern time yellowstone uh versus a particular character i like it in terms of storytelling because it is exactly how the story of a family would be told mm-hmm. you tell it in like blips throughout a timeline you don't tell it like you know and here's james and here's james all the way till his death and then here's the next character all the way to their death like that's not how family lore is told it's like here's where we were then we moved okay now it's 1932 okay now here's where the family is at this point and you tell it like that jumping timeline kind of way so it reflects real life to me before we get too far into the episode one i have to remind everyone penultimate is the greatest word in the english language and you only get to say it once a season of a television show so I was you've very already ex- said it twice or three uh, times for this one well one episode you get to say it. See, i gotta fork it in as much as you as said much it as you in can. the last one too just to just to prepare Setting us up. It. it's my favorite word <laughs> it's a limited use word but i mean there comes a time in every show season where it's yeah. the penultimate episode uh, also Amazing. very excited to announce we actually have christine baranski in the studio with us this evening and now she's not on Yellowstone. She's not in 1883. She's actually over on the Gilded Age, one of our other podcasts that we're doing. Uh, so I was very excited to welcome her. Christine, thank you for, for being here. W- would you like to come on mic and talk a little bit about this show and takes place during the same time as, as Gilded Age? No. Oh, okay, Christine. Well, well, you sit there. We'll talk to you soon. Maybe we'll drop in with uh, Christine and ask her opinions. No. <laughs> okay just a reminder we assume that you've watched this episode so we're not going to go step by step to recap it but hang in there because we're going to discuss all the important points and anything that is uh, not something we talk about this week we always put a pin in it come back around and we'll talk about it next week or please feel free to come over on the facebook group and chit chat with us about it there because honestly we'd have you here for eight hours if we talked about every single thing that was happening no uh, listen, Christine, now you're Not being a little disruptive. <laughs> you're being a little disruptive. But yes, you have your own Facebook group for Gilded Age. We don't, you don't need to be jumping in and being disruptive. <laughs> Let's go episode themes, Mike. The land and God. You were so right last week when you were telling me that you were feeling this transformation for Elsa. You were feeling that our relationship with God was changing. And we totally got it. I mean, my goodness. When she said the land hates us and everyone can feel it, my heart sunk. Like, I was like, oh, gosh, like, that's where we're at. I had convinced myself of the world's ambivalence toward its inhabitants until I came to this place. This place doesn't want inhabitants to talk. Every plant is inedible. Every creek bed is dry. Though only September, snow covers the mountain peaks. 
Winter can't wait to have at us. Can't wait to join with the land and run us off or kill us. If land can have emotions, this land hates. It hates us. And everyone can feel it. I mean, that is dramatic turn from where the show began. Ne- never a religious person in so far as I-, I pray every night before I go to sleep. Elsa had a very spiritual, she felt like, it, it, it always struck me as she was one in wonderment at the land as this product of God. And we have been talking about this just transforming relationship as she has gone through this journey. And here we are. The land hates us and everyone can feel it. That is a stark turn and really reflects her mood and reflects their and reflects their journey. For me, it was a shocking twist as much as they've been leading us by the nose. And I know they have when we talked last week about how now all of a sudden that God is the land. And now we're going to start saying the land hates us. Well, okay, then she's saying God hates us. I wasn't there yet with her Mm -hmm. for that part. I I didn't think she thought God hated her or hated all of them. So, man, she has gone through so much. We have watched this extreme transformation from being this innocent, wide-eyed, naive, hopeful young girl. And in such a short period of time, she has become jaded beyond belief. Mike, time-wise now, we're in September yes. um, and we're getting closer to winter. What do you think? Are we are we actually going to get to winter here? This this was a big time jump, I felt like. Let's stop. And not only does God hate us, this is the land, God, which are the same thing for Elsa. She's talking about winter can't wait to get at us. You know, she the the anthropomorphizing of of nature in the show and now the seasons in the show is is it's interesting and it's very much in the wheelhouse for Elsa to speak this way, but also has such a dark tone that has never been present before but all the building blocks are there we've been calling out all the you know pay attention to this pay attention to this it's been building to this moment but i i can't underestimate enough this idea that it is a full-on war between man and nature and man and the land man and the seasons i mean think back to last week sam is having that conversation with james and they're talking about uh, you know how can you you know james says you know how could you find me and sam says white man fights with the land and so it feels so big to them you know we go with the land we're like the wolf that runs with the land so the land is very small to us we'll be able to find you that's here i mean elsa as comanche as she feels these days is being what Sam is saying about the white man last week's episode. They're at war with this land and and feel the land is at war with them. It's really interesting. It, it's a really super, super dark turn. How far do they get next week? I don't know. I felt the season was always going to end at them getting to the South Pass. That was been my prediction since like episode two. Um, I assumed that the mountains that we were seeing in the background from episode one, um, initially in episode one, I thought that they were maybe the Rockies. But then I think in episode two, I revised that. I thought that that would be the South Pass mountains that they would be crossing through Wyoming to get you know, onto the other side, onto the Pacific side of the divide. I, I still think they're going to be there, but obviously you have this big conversation between uh, James and Margaret at the end. Maybe the largest single scene in any Yellowstone show about the Yellowstones and how they get to where they are in Montana. Let's take a listen to this end scene. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but this was just so huge. She's going to die. 
and it's going to cut us in two. And if we don't accept it now, she'll die in some fort with some doctor doping her up so badly she can't see straight. And we will have robbed her. She needs to see every sunrise and every sunset. And we will lie to her. And we will tell her she's fine. And we will let her look at this world with those big dreamer eyes. Till they can't see him. Then what are we gonna do? She's gonna be another cross on a trail that we don't visit. Ten years from now, it's just gone. Our wagon drives over. While we bury her is where we stay. That is our home. Not here. Not in this place. No. Not in this place. I will find the place. By God, I will find the place. You know, before we start recording, you and I were talking about where does season one end? If this is the penultimate episode, (laughs) and, you know, you have this big traumatic battle that I think everyone was assuming was going to be in in the season finale, but now we're getting it in episode nine. Where does season one end? Where does the end of episode 10 end? Where we bury her is where we'll stay. I think that's where we're getting to. I think time-wise, is that the full-blown winter? Is snow going to be falling? I don't know. But I think it has to end with a cross, an Elsa cross, maybe. Wow, you think we get all the way to the Yellowstone Ranch? (laughs) Next week? I don't know. I mean, maybe they bring her, maybe they bring Elsa into season two and they end the journey there. But I'm thinking dramatic. What what could be more dramatic? If, If you gave us this battle scene, this war scene, this atrocity and the arrow in the belly and she's going to die if you gave all of that in episode nine what's left for episode 10 it i feel like it has to be something giant right and and wouldn't setting sights on the future's home of the yellowstone ranch be that i i don't know i don't know maybe that's too much maybe that's too far forward well, and is it too quick to lose Elsa then? Because if we're going to have this lie and we're going to have this, she should see every sunset and all that. I mean, I know that, that Taylor Sheridan is great in terms of being able to say a lot in a, in a little amount of time. And so maybe he will, you know, it'll be a montage situation of sunrises and, and adventures and all this kind of stuff. And maybe, you know, that'll be enough. Maybe in five minutes, you know, we can see the equivalent of months of her experiencing the world. But that's the setup, right? The setup isn't really her death. The setup is the lie and allowing her to live and the adventure that they still want her to be able to have. So I do feel like it would be a little bit undercutting the story to just be like, and she died. <laughs> like, right. like they have to follow through with this, with the pain of this lie. They do. But I mean, they even started that in this episode, though. I mean, T- Tim McGraw's face, uh, Tim McGraw in, in his acting, the back end of this episode, I think is just some award winning face acting. If he doesn't get nominated, if he gets nominated, it'll be, I think, on this episode. Just watching him, his face twitch as he's keeping an eye on her. She starts to do the end of episode voiceover, you know, looking past my father's eyes. I could see his worry, you know. Well, we, we have the clip, but we could we can play it. I looked at my father. Looked past his smile. Saw his worry. Saw something deeper. 
as if he were already in mourning. As if I were already gone. I felt different too. Felt as though my soul had been dislodged from whatever cavern in our chest the soul is connected to. I felt loose, disconnected. I looked out at the sagebrush. The colors looked different, sharper. Looked up at the sky. The clouds seemed to race above us, as if new rules applied to time and space above me. I looked back at my father, and I studied his eyes. Looked deep into them. That's when I knew I was going to die. So much going on in that scene. Yeah. Faith Hill and Tim McGraw have, um, you know, their own kind of painful story with their youngest daughter, Audrey. She was a preemie. I remember this story so well when it was going on so many years ago. She's like 20 now. Um, and she was like, she lived in, and, and everything was okay. But there's the, the anguish of her being in the NICU for so long. I remember them being on different like talk shows and things like that. And the, and I really felt like they were drawing on some like real parent agony in these scenes and uh and that's what i feel like when elsa was kind of like scanning and looking at them and of course when we have margaret say you can wear anything you want i was like oh my god she's gonna figure this out in an instant she's gonna freaking know they're lying (laughs) she says mama i have a fever she's like no you're fine i mean right there it starts immediately when she wakes up in the morning and and elsa finally doesn't feel well right she spent the entire first day saying i don't feel pain i feel fine i'm gonna be fine she wakes up the next day and is like oh shit like i'm i'm not doing great here i think i even have a fever and now because they're on they're gonna lie to her right and they're gonna tell her fine until she can't open her eyes anymore it starts immediately like no you're fine you know can i'm wearing pants you wear what you want i want to ride i don't want to sit in a wagon you can ride you know all these things if i'm else i'm like who who body snatched my mom and you know put this woman here She's never so agreeable with me. It was definitely telegraphed what was going on. And I I just didn't know how long Elsa was going to take for her to like click of it being like, wait a minute. (laughs) But true to teenagers, she was quick to being like, what is going on here? So she she totally got it. Of course, we need to back up here and talk about the scene that led to all of this anguish. I can't believe that we got to see this scene in episode nine. Can you believe it? Our no. cold open from no, episode one? No, I really I really thought this was going to be the episode 10 thing. Just bookend-wise, narrative-wise, story-wise, I wasn't expecting the big battle with the Native Americans to be in episode nine. I, I mean, I if anyone can surprise me, it's Taylor Sheridan. The guy pulls out blockbuster moves all the time. Anyone who's ever watched Yellowstone knows, you know, I mean, this season, season four of Yellowstone began with a 10-minute uh, firefight God's, Godfather-style you know firefight and and like extermination scene like the guy does big moments well 
it did surprise me that it was here. What made me happy, though, was whenever a scene like that, that seems so big and seems like such the obvious bookend and, and feels like satisfying, like, you know what, that I would be OK with that. That seems big when they do rush those things, when they do play a little earlier than you think or when they do cut off a, a storyline a little shorter. All it tells me is something bigger is in the works for the next episode because they're okay with walking away from that story in order to do something much bigger. Right. If you, if you look at this raid and this battle scene, and by the way, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I've been waiting all season to hear someone yell, circle the wagons. I know. When he said it, I was like, oh my gosh, Mike's going to love that. I, and I did. It's it's like in all capitals in my notes here. Like, circle the wagons is like a, a, a classic Western battle cry. So to hear it here and not be hokey and not played for laughs, and but to be dead serious, like truly lives are on the line here. I think the battle scene was shot so well. Um, I felt it was visceral and real and shocking i don't think they pulled punches they killed cast members that we've come to know i give credit to the show with all the immigrants in the background some of which have names and faces and have headlines others that you just know and seeing so many of those ones that you just know you know like that guy and the way he dresses you've seen him in the background and now Mm -hmm. he's like dead on the ground it was visceral i felt it i felt like i was there i felt like i could smell like the gun smoke the writers did such an amazing job of creating the anticipatory feelings of like, this is about to happen. We're getting there. When we had the moment with the woman who is who is tending to Risa after Alina. the snake bite, and she has the red curly hair, I recognized her hairstyle and her hair color as the woman who was running away when she gets scalped from that first scene. And so when I saw her, and I saw her specifically walking from behind, I was like, Oh, no. Like, she's the one. And now I see her, like, looking exactly how she's going to look. When we have Elsa go and start buttoning up that dress, and I saw the white white fabric with the little blue flowers on it, my heart was like, oh, my God, this is happening now. Like, this is the dress she's putting on. I'm so taken aback. They did such a good job with that because those small details allowed our hearts to start beating fast. We've when been waiting nothing, for it. We've been waiting for was, that dress to come out, right? We've been but waiting. nothing was actually happening on the screen. Yeah. We're just watching a woman buttoning her dress, and that's enough because of the way that they chose to tell the story. And, I mean, a, a huge kudos to them for that because I think that those are the types of special touches that they do, the way that they, they you know, people apply applaud this is us for their flashbacks and flash forwards and that type of stuff i think that there's something about this the way that you knew this this time was coming and to do it in nine when you're 100 percent not expecting it now you are like you're throwing the audience back on their heels so hard I, it was amazing were you completely freaked out when you were seeing these things my heart stopped my heart stopped because because we've spent nine weeks at this point or eight weeks at this point wondering and replaying and watching that opening scene and that dress has become so indelible linked and the braids in her hair and all of it and all the pieces have been falling in together and we didn't even realize we were there until we were there and when they flashed to her even when she even when her and margaret are yelling and they're having the conversation and she's you know her mother says for you do me this one courtesy and put on the goddamn dress you know even then it wasn't until they flash into the wagon that you saw it like my i took like a like a breath you know like like someone had sucker punched me because i was like that's the dress like we're there we're no matter how long it takes now 
to get to the actual scene were there. That dress represents so much of what we've been waiting to see how it would play out. It, it was it was a truly shocking and dramatic moment. And again, on screen, you're 100 percent right. It was just a, it was just a woman finishing getting dressed. It was just that we knew the history of the story at that point. That's really well done storytelling, you know, to to get you to that point where you know what's happening before they've told you the story. Uh, Let's talk about some of the moments. Um, I mean, the battle really begins in earnest when Elsa goes uh, riding after Cookie's Wagon, which is veered off course. What do you think when you see that moment? She comes over the hill and Cookie's Wagon is on fire. Man, they killed Cookie dead. They shot him with arrows. They shot him with guns. They hit him with the back of a with a tomahawk axe uh, hammer thing. Poor Cookie. Rest in peace. Uh, Yeah. And I'm I'm, uh, again, it makes me feel like. All of the things that that we were so excited to have in place as small as like things like and we have a cook and things are going to be more, you know, rash and think of all the things we've discussed about how happy we were that there was a cook. And then now we have security for the food and blah, blah, blah. And all, for, <laughs> I mean, the writers must have been just guffawing at, at all of what the audience was excited about, because at the end of the day, it was like, he's going to be dead in 10 seconds. All the things you were happy about, the food is burned. Everything's gone. Right. We don't need to cook anymore, though. Honestly, the beef is gone. There is no cattle anymore. There is no herd. But we fell into the trap. We fell into the trap. We didn't say, no, we're on the journey. They're going to lose everything along the way. We didn't even say that. Even though they told us that, we didn't listen. We were like so happy that they had the cook and this was all going to happen. And it was like, no, it's all going to be snatched away from you. Let's talk about Elsa and her role in the in the raid. I found it extremely brave of her, but also very much in character for her. This warrior type, you know, uh, wife of Sam, but really daughter of James and, and Margaret. But you know, she really identifies as a warrior daughter of her father in the in the way she sees him, leading off half of the raiding tribe just to keep them from from killing. Really brave moment. Also, really quick on her feet and a very smart moment though too. Funny, because when I was watching, and it was happening so slow motion in my mind, as she was coming at the circled wagons, I said probably three times before she did it, I was like, why is she riding them directly to the rest of them? Why isn't she cutting off? What is she doing? Like, like... (laughs) In all of the conversations you and I have had, how I'm Elsa, <laughs> I was like, I would have already cut off by now. <laughs> like, like there, like it was so funny to like be watching it and know this character so well that it wasn't a surprise. It didn't feel brave to me. It felt like, when, when is she going to cut off? Like, there's no way she's going to lead them all back directly to the group. So I was like, man, good on Elsa, but also like, that's exactly what I expect from you, girl. Like, this, this is what I need you to be doing. Very brave. I was thinking that Lightning was going to outrun this group actually further than he did. What did you think about that after all these horse races? Yes, I think Lightning survives. Uh, I think did he survive? Was she on him? Now, now, now that I'm saying it, now I'm not sure. Is she on him at the end of the episode? Yeah, yes, for sure. They had Lightning ready to go for her to ride to hop back on. So I, I think that was a really smart little again a real, real smart piece of writing 
because it just shows you that the Comanche are the Comanche, but the Lakota are the Lakota. And an angry Lakota hunting down the murderers of their women and their grandmothers and their little ones, they're going to outpace even even lightning. That you know, they they are the storm. You know, we've talked about the storm is coming. The Lakota warriors in in their full battle mode are the storm. And I think it says a lot that they are able to chase her down. Really great cinematography work here. Even the way you guys were going to, well, actually, I don't know how it works on the streaming, but the way the screener was shot was just as the warrior is about to conquer on the head or knock her off of the horse or kill her. You don't know. It cuts to like commercial or it cuts to black anyway, as if it would be a commercial break holder. All of it was very, very heart in your chest because yes, we knew, we knew she was going to wake up at some point and we knew she was going to grab a gun and she was going to take an arrow, but also we didn't know how it was going to exactly play out. I didn't know she was going to be literally knocked from her horse the way that she right. was. That was so visceral. I was like, oh, visceral know? is the word for all of this. I felt yeah. all of it. I felt it. Did in you my cringe? Belly. Like I was like tensing up. I was yeah. like, I was like literally trying to ride my own couch faster. <laughs> like go 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 go. Like, I had like little white trying. marks in my palm from my fist. Yes. You know, from like my nails sticking into uh, my fist. But what a situation to set up. Like we had no idea why this was going to happen. To create the situation where they come upon these dead bodies and they realize that their horses have made tracks and that they're going to have to figure out who did this and capture them because otherwise the Lakota was going to blame them. What a fascinating, like, rock and a hard place. Like, you can't just go along the trail. You know, you can't just be like, oh, that's terrible. What a sad scene. And keep going because now you've left marks behind. I was like, this is fascinating the way that they're breaking them up and the way that James and and Shay and Thomas are going to have to go figure this out with who actually did this. Cool Pinkerton stuff, I think, too. Kind of like that detective work. Like, quick, Shay was like, you're leaving marks in the dirt. Like, Not a lot of that enough. kind of... Not a you're right. I, I don't think any average pioneer would have understood that. Right. And so, you know, me and you have, have questioned a lot about Shay and Thomas's expertise and whether or not they had d- done these things before. That moment alone for me was like a whole Pinkerton thing of like showing that, that detective type background, that right. private eye kind of thing. That felt smart and and good to finally give Shay like this. This is the kind of stuff I bring to the table. I mean, even James himself had to be told like this is, this is truly something where James wasn't thinking about having left tracks. But let's let's armchair let's armchair quarterback this whole situation here. How much do you think the three men going into the camp and riding around in their shod horse tracks when? The people who actually did the murder would have also run their horses through there. How much do you think, had they not gone there, let's say they don't go in there, Shay, Thomas, and James don't ride through the devastation and then just stay. Like, they they like just pretend like they don't see the devastation to the right and they stay on the trail and they go forward. Do, do we really think that the Lakota aren't going to hunt them down as a party anyway? Oh, I wasn't going that way. I thought you were going to say, wouldn't that have been the smarter thing to do? No, is just to well, keep no, going? Beca- because there are going to be tracks. And so, you know, it wasn't like it was three miles away. The trail that they were riding past was uh, was a stone's throw. It was right next door to where they were. So if the yeah. Lakota are, are on the hunt, they're going to ride you down and hold you accountable a large party. It, it's not like they're going to ID the the horseshoe on any of the horses to the thing. They're gonna they're gonna put two and two together and and murder what they did. They're gonna do exactly what they did. 
I mean, as proof, the three horses that ran to the camp weren't any of the horses that were involved in the raid, right? The three horses that went into the camp and trampled in the camp were the ones actually out hunting down the real horse rustlers, thieves and murderers and rapists. So the plan of staying there, here's what I would have done. I would have honestly. I was waiting for you to be like, here's what I'm going to do. I, I got to do a little bit of stage. If I come across an Indian massacre, here's am, what I'm going to do. I am parking my camp and I am wrecking my own shit. I am putting i am putting my men on the ground uh you know i am ripping the clothes of the women i'm making it look like we got caught up in the same devastation as the lakota camp and i'm staying right there so when the lakota come they're like something else came and destroyed both of these people does that make sense i'm gonna do so i'm gonna well your shit has gotten destroyed so many times over already i'm not gonna try and outrun the storm i can't race clouds you can't it's impossible so i'm going to play dead as best as i can i'm going to make it look like i'm part of the same attack that i'm a victim of the same attack as these people they look so straggly anyway you've got joseph and reza (laughs) right you've got they're broken they're you know they've got only a handful of wagons they look like they had been through an attack already i would have played into that i don't think i would have gone so far as that i think maybe i would have done a couple of things like like i would have put like a like some sort of blanket over the the woman who is like laying in the naked out in the field i would have tried to do something that looked respectful and somehow to show some sort of honor to them maybe i would have even though this is this is this would be like a like a christian version of what to do but like you know doing something like where maybe i told my group i agree with you to stay put stay put because running makes you look guilty right Right. stay put put forces a conversation to be had but maybe maybe even have them like pray or do something like have them look like we were trying to be honoring those who had died like we Mm -hmm. came across a situation where people had died so we stopped and we you know, got on our knees and we were like saying prayers and being quiet and like something like that. Something where we looked very unassuming, very like we couldn't have done anything very passive, um, something like that. So, uh, so we get to the same outcome. You're, you're saying, you know, make it look like you guys, you're basically weakened from also being beaten. I'm I saying, mean, I would have been doing the prayer thing, everything too, but I would have made myself look like I was part of the same victim as the ones who attacked their camp also. Like that we were all caught together. They had already been back though. Like the people had already seen the scene. They were out like the all the warriors were out. They've already seen what happened. No, no, no. Before yes. but the, not until they had already not until Cookie already spurred everyone on though. I'm saying James James and Thomas and Shay should have added instructions to stay here, which I think is the right call. But didn't they tell the wagons to stay? They did. And then you have this line from Cookie here. This is why we have to armchair quarterback this. Oh, shit. Why'd y'all stop? Risa fell from her horse and Joseph was bit by snake. We gotta get out of here. Where's Shay? Where's Shay? He went with my father and Thomas to hunt down the thieves. Ain't no hired guns with you? All right. We all need a mount up. We gotta move these wagons. We gotta head to the fort. We stay here. That's been decided. By who? By the wagon boss and my husband. Oh, you mean the folks who ain't fucking here, Margaret? 
Lakota don't let their families just wander these fucking plains. They are out there hunting right now. And when they come back here and they find this, they will be fucking hunting us next. Forecast for six hours ride. I'm going to make it in four. Anybody that wants to join me to the fort, saddle up. Ha! Let's go! You know, I understand Cookie's desire. He thinks he can do it in four hours and that if luck is on their side, four hours would be enough to get from where they are now to the fort. And maybe the Lakota warriors don't discover the destroyed camp in the next four hours and catch up to them. But that is, I think, placing a lot of a lot of trust in luck, which is a conversation Margaret and Elsa have versus James and Shay and Thomas's plan of stay there. I think that is the better plan. I think they made a fatal mistake by leaving. Maybe it ends the same way, but I think they would have had room to negotiate or have a conversation if they're still there. Right. It just looks like a group who is actually trying to acknowledge what happened versus running away from a bad scene. Think about just in modern day, you know, right. it's it's like the Good Samaritan kind of thing. Like you just stay put until help comes. Right. You, but if you're someone looking like you're fleeing from the scene, it looks like you were a part of what happened. I get what Cookie was trying to do. Right. He just kind of panicked, He'd you know, it's exactly and, right. It's the same with the storm, right? When he got out and assumed everyone would be behind him, he runs. He He's not one for staying, right? He gets out ahead of the thing. Running from this scene is the same as in the tornado episode where he bounced the night before. And he was like, right. I assumed you guys were going to follow me. Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's a survivor, uh, except for when he's not. So difficult because, you know, we've we have battled this idea of leadership for eight episodes up until this point. Right. We get to nine and and we're at nine and we finally have a clear leadership, mm-hmm. you know, a path here and then have Cookie, total non-leader, end up making a decision for the group. Right. Oh, I mean, what kind of like horrible like come on, though, that is some bad I don't even know what the right word is, but like, I, kind of a juju is like coming out of my mouth. But but it but just but the irony of it, the yeah. irony of trying to iron out who's in charge, who is going to make the decisions, and to have Shay Thomas and James make a decision quickly, agreeing, telling everyone what to do, and then to have this other guy come in on the scene and just make a knee jerk decision and override them. Oh, my God. And, and listen to his words in that, in that clip, too. You know, oh, you mean the ones who made the decision are the ones who aren't fucking here, Margaret? Like, using, like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's something very intimidating about him using her her name in that way. And I'm actually quite surprised he didn't say, like, Miss Dutton or something like that. I'm actually quite surprised he used her first name. Only based on our Gilded Age world, where, like, right. there's not a lot of first name stuff. There's a lot of Miss and Mr. Oh, I think and it was very intentional, though. I think it Me was. Me, too. It was, like, to be, like, undercutting. Yeah, Exactly, exactly. Like right. you're a child. You don't even deserve my formality of saying Mrs. Dutton. There's time for that when it's all sunshine and rainbows. But now your absentee husband's decision is affecting my life is Cookie's position here. Now, the interesting thing is I wanted to ask, is a failure of communication part of why Cookie is able to rile the group up? So he, again, as the leaders, they make a decision. You're right. They they quickly make a decision amongst themselves. They tell the group to stay, but they don't give them reason. 
This is something else we talked about. It's a failure of communicating the reasoning behind your decisions. Now, some would say leaders are leaders and they shouldn't have to justify every decision, especially when time is of the essence. But I'm wondering if they take the time and say, listen, gather everyone around. There's only like 15 people left alive anyway. You know, uh, gather everyone around and say, listen, we're having you stay here because if you run, you will look more guilty. You can't take a chance that you're going to get to the fort's walls before the Lakota find you and kill you stay here give us a chance to get back to you and maybe we can all make it out of this alive if you run you will probably be killed if they do that maybe cookies words don't have the rile up the troops you know effect that it does well they would actually have an argument to give cookie and say no the reason why we're staying is xyz you know they would explain why this is the same conversation we had about swimming this is the same conversation we had about why don't they tell them why they're going to cross here or why they're going to you know why they have to uh, not bring all their furniture like if only they gave them some of the whys the people were very willing to to use common sense and listen and would have backed the decision. You're right. right. So it, it's it's very painful. It's a lesson that we thought they had learned a little bit more. They had learned only between Shay and James. They started to give James the whys. Mm-hmm. And then he started to compromise with them. But it, they never extended that to the immigrants. And then they're still just... Th- to be fair, setting up the snake bite situation created this extra adrenaline rush with yes. the entire group and mm-hmm. a lot of like chaos because they needed to get them to the fort. They in order to get the the snake bite situation taken care of. So there was an urgency to get to the fort. So the idea of staying behind really put two of their own in peril. And so that was fair to be worried. I actually like Thomas's suggestion of send on some of the wagons by themselves. No one with a couple of straggler wagons with two sick people, one with a broken head or spine and one with a snake bite in a wagon. head. (laughs) Well, whatever whatever happens to Riza there. I'm, like, I'm she, sorry, ma'am. You have a broken head. Well, I mean, she gets dumped on her head, which was which was painful. I to watch, know, but, but that's such a funny like like this is Doctor Mike here. You have a broken head. You cannot keep real water down. Um, you know, send on a wagon. I mean, that's Thomas's suggestion. Send on a wagon. At least yeah, send on smart. a couple of wagons. But maybe that's also not practical though, because they are defenseless. But you know, there's no good solution here, right? And I want to get to this is the conversation between Margaret and Elsa. This is the last part of the armchair quarterbacking because it was the last real argument about do we stay or do we go, which is this segment of the episode. We should stay. Better? Follow Daddy's tracks and catch up to him. How am I supposed to catch him in a wagon? Leave the wagon. Shall I leave your brother here too? Two women and a child alone on the only road in the most dangerous country in this nation. There's strength in numbers. We have no numbers. We go with them. I think it's a mistake. It's all a mistake, Elsa. The right choice is luck. That's all. You need to put on a dress. Why? Because if you ride into that army fort half-naked, dressed like an Indian, have you not learned enough about men on this trip? Then I won't go in the fort. I'll stay outside. Grant me one less thing to worry about. I think I'm on Elsa's side here. I, I, I think Margaret is also acting out of fear in this decision. Because if, if, if danger is all around you, then 
two women and a child on two horses is really no more dangerous than every other situation. Well, I think it's important to remember her decision in the previous episode when we have James and Elsa (laughs) and Shay and all of them going and she she opts to hop on her horse alone and go towards where James is because the company line is if there's danger, the best place to be is standing right behind James. So she followed that line of thinking in the previous episode of like go towards the trouble because at least we'd be with James and Shay and Thomas. I see. I don't think so. I think she went to go retrieve Elsa there. I don't think she was going to stand behind James. Yeah, but you argued that she was jealous and that she should yeah. be the one standing behind James well, and I all think that. She, no, I think she was jealous that Elsa went and left her behind. I don't think it was because she thought she they should be staying i think she just wanted to go retrieve elsa less than she wanted to go stand behind james in a, in a guaranteed firefight well can we go 50 50 on that and say like some part of it because i mean there is a decision making process that she made there well, i think it's a smart thing to bring up though because that decision she also left the kid behind yes she so so here she is arguing one second later saying what are you gonna have me leave your brother behind you left brother behind last week when you friggin took off so right but i think i think you're right to bring that up though because remember that led to her having to kill a man one-on-one the worst possible situation was that she ended up having to get into a gunfight and kill someone and we know at the end of that she was changed right you get the voiceover from elsa saying you know only john will make it to heaven now like margaret was changed in a negative way from that interaction so the taste in her mouth from going after James on horseback is for her when she says we're two women and a child on horses, that's not going to be a good situation. It's dangerous out here. The less experience she had of being on horseback by herself led to her having to kill someone. So I think that's actually a smart thing of why she's coming from it at this point of view. But as an armchair quarterback, I just disagree with her here. They should have run like hell to go find James and Thomas and uh, Shay running to the group because at least margaret should understand we're all going to be held guilty whether we did something or not and being in a large group here is actually not the smart play that actually makes you look more complicit the lakota are not going to think you raped women and burned a a camp down if you're two women and a little boy they're not going to think you did it if you're with this large group though and cookie waving his his uh, pincers and his tongs and stuff well then you look like maybe you are a bunch of like white man killers mm-hmm. i don't know hard hard to quarterback it i think the decision they made was the worst one <laughs> but in the moment i could see maybe especially with the uh with the risa and joseph added yeah, adrenaline it was to it. smart to add the chaos of that and the urgency they needed to get to the fort to save them so then it was really a game of like well who's more important and who do you save and what what's the bigger danger and all of the things like it wasn't it was not cut and dry if no one had been injured and they could have just kept the wagons there and they could have just sat there quietly then that would have been the most obvious call but if you have these other two injured and hurt and need to get to the fort You've got this whole other element. I just think it was so smart in the writing to create that extra Mm -hmm. issue that they were having to deal with. And just like the chaos of it, because not only were they two people down, but then there were people caring for them. So if we only had 15 people, then probably the most capable 
with Risa and Joseph down were like the ones caring for Risa and Joseph. So then it was like all you had really left was maybe like nine people who kind of were like the least a part of the of of actually being helpers, you know. So uh, what a bad situation. Yeah. And, and again, it's another one of those situations where I wish James and Shay had microphones on them so that the group could hear their discussions because they had that great conversation. Shay says we're going to be crossing through Lakota land, Shoshone land, Nez Perce land, Blackfoot land, all between now and where we're going. Every wagon trail is going to be haunted by what happened here for the next six months. We have to deal with this now. We have to stay where we are and deal with this now. Explain that. Explain that exactly like this. If we don't, if we run and we don't deal with this now and here, we're going to be looking over our shoulders for one of these tribes to come exact retribution for the rest of this journey. Six more months, they're going to be in Oregon, where they should be if they don't get stuck by the winter. Explain that to the group. I'm glad that Shay and James finally had this detente and understanding amongst each other. But now you still have to get the other 15, 20 people who are left alive to understand your reasoning, too. It's not like there's 100 people that you have to try to convince. Not even that you have to try and convince them, but you at least have to explain why it's in your best interest. Because... It does seem counter. Staying here is maybe not the obvious answer. Running like hell, Cookie, is the obvious answer, right? But the smart answer and the and the easy answer are rarely the same thing. So I think James and Shay would have been would have done by the group a lot better had they just explained their rational rationalization a little bit. How surprised were you that the Wyoming Stock Growers Association peeps popped up into this scene? Was that like the funniest line to hear that to hear those words together? Uh, yeah, I didn't think we were going to get self-appointed deputy livestock people being the one who were robbing and killing and and raping and to do it only as bait so they could bait the Lakota men into going to war is pretty fucking heinous. It was crazy uh, just in the Yellowstone universe because we haven't heard livestock. Right. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, with with their little badges and whatnot, I was like, livestock deputy people like, whoa, we're like really starting to connect some dots here in like a crazy way. Right. I would, I would like to think that hopefully James, when he inevitably forms the Montana Livestock Association, will behave a little bit better and uh, not rape and kill as to bait people into going to battle. The Wyoming Stock Growers Association was actually a real organization that had been started in 1872, and it really was self-appointed people. It was just cattle ranchers that wanted to standardize and organize the cattle industry, but kind of grew into this quasi-political police force that did as they saw fit to protect against rustlers and thieves and Native Americans. So this is actually based on a real organization that actually still exists today. It, it has less power and teeth now, um, and it doesn't roam free shooting and maiming and raping, but it, it based on a real organization that, that still exists and had existed for about 10 years when this is all taking place. I do like when we get to see Thomas uh, lay the law down. We haven't really seen this since him and uh, Shay beat up uh, the thieves early on when he first meets Noemi uh, early on. God, that seems like forever ago. But uh, this, this clip made me smile. You ain't no deputy. You ain't no judge. You ain't no fucking jury. Them folks wasn't the thieves. You the thieves. I mean, can't fault him for taking the law into his own hands there. You know, live by the sword, die by the sword, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Thomas had to do something. I mean, we, we cannot let it's so crazy because it's like you can't let anyone roam around. You know, it's like if you're in, if you are here and you're going from point A to point B and we see you on the trail, that's one thing. But if we see you just roaming across the, the prairie generally, it's like you're up to no good. Like yeah. There's there's nothing yeah. you're doing here but but trying to pick people off. And these guys were the worst. They were immediately like they weren't even trying to hide what they did. They said, you know, yeah, we did that just because we knew that they would be like sent into a rage and we wanted a we wanted a reason to kill them like and 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 spewing horribly racist things when when james finally pulls his gun and the three of them shoot the first three guys that they come across before like their words are out of their mouth i was so happy because we didn't have to continue listening to the horribly racist things that they were spewing uh yeah kind of really sickening but i'm happy that it played out the way it did that our guys got to bring some justice their style I did want to ask you, though, when James goes to write rides down to the Lakota towards the end of the episode after the raid has already happened and the Lakota are on their way back. Are you surprised that Shay and Thomas stay behind and Shay really leading this discussion is basically like someone has to stay alive to continue leading who's ever left from the group? But also kind of leaving James to his own devices there. Thomas doesn't seem terribly comfortable with it. I was curious what your thought on it was. It's very cold. I mean, it's logical. I mean, in a way, it's super it's, mean to yeah. to James to to act like that. But I guess by you know by the same token, they're not in charge of James, and James made that clear, you know. And so, if this is the decision he's making, they're willing to sit back and not be a party to that. But also, they're not going to try to stop him anymore. So maybe that's trying to show us a little bit of that change in that you know they are. It's weird to say respecting James to be the leader in terms of like okay, if you want to do that you go ahead like we're not going to stop you anymore and we're not going to even be mad at you anymore like go ahead so that that is kind of an alteration in the way that they have interacted because before they were trying to convince each other right and this time they were just like go okay you know like kind of different yeah i mean i think it was i think it was logical what shay's reasoning was logical but it seemed very cold to let james go and face that by himself you know shay and thomas are as invested in this group as james is i mean james is is james is going to find out he says you know i can't hope i can't wait i have to know and that's why he rides down you know shay and thomas are curious also so i I don't know I, i don't know it was it felt cold to me i get why he did it and his logic is someone has to stay alive to continue to lead the group but you know just solidarity of of brotherhood i think i would have liked to have seen them kind of you know ride down there and be his backup so does it change your opinion of shay and thomas's character like their actual character like their values their do they have people's back like what is like who are they as people does it change how you feel about them i don't think so i don't think so because we saw remember we saw this is the first go back all the way to back to the first episode this is the same kind of interaction we saw shay and thomas have with james remember shay and thomas are on top of that bluff and they watch james fend off the six thieves with his wagon you know going all the way to that first episode and they don't and thomas is like do we go help them and shay was like no i want to see how it plays out this this is that i mean we're a season at the end of the season but it's literally the same situation so why are you surprised you asked me like like oh this is like so cold and so shocking because but you're they kind have of- gone on a journey together and it does i mean these three have been riding together and making the decisions you know and it, i don't know it, it seemed cold to me that they were riding together they all wanted to know did the lakota just kill our entire camp are we returning to anyone 
one, but they decide to hang back. I mean, and Che gives his reasons why, and so I respect the logic of it all. But emotionally, it seemed out of line. You know, these three have kind of done everything together, whether they were happy to do it or not. See, but I don't see them as having bonded or anything. I don't I don't see these three. There's been no examples where I feel like they bonded in this way that's so different than hiding in the grass and waiting for the for you know waiting and watching james fend off the six killers and not jumping in there they've just maintained i I just i don't see that they've had that's why i'm asking you like are you questioning their character then because otherwise they have just stayed exactly the same they don't have this friendship with james i guess i guess maybe that's what i was asking about maybe i was curious if they had bonded and and i guess they haven't i I guess no but i think you know that because i think that that they just relented to james ultimately nobody ever said i think James is actually the smartest, most experienced, best leader. They just kind of got tired of dealing with this whole thing. It was like, fine, you be the leader. You know, you can do it. Go ahead. But Shay and Thomas actually haven't really changed like their relationship with James. And I mean, I'm glad you pointed out to the audience from the beginning, like this is how they've always played it. They've always hung back and let whomever is going to go, you know, quote unquote, commit suicide that day, go do their thing because they're not going to get involved. That is what I thought was our basis for kind of questioning them as guides, as like, why do they just let people go and do things that seem like they're going to get hurt or get killed? And they just kind of hang back and shake their heads and say, well, they should have known better. It always made us wonder, like, but they're but people are paying you to be telling them what they're doing wrong and you're not really telling them what they're doing wrong so they've maintained that this whole time i guess you know it's just the same it's the same stuff they just let james go and like if he dies he dies i'm surprised they don't recognize him as more of an asset to the group that it's not the same as losing some nameless faceless immigrant who didn't have any skill set that's more surprising to me that they're not like shit he has actually been you know helpful in shooting people (laughs) alongside of us why are we not, you know, at least appreciating him as like not wanting to lose him from the group? Yeah. Not no. really like helping, though, but just not. But for their own selfish reasons, like we were going to need a third guy another day. I mean, it's not like they didn't see Shay and Thomas on top of that hill there. So if they had if this conversation that we're going to play here goes south and they kill James because they've got him surrounded, he's not he may get one or two guys before he's dead, but he's not walking out of that situation alive. How long before Shane Thomas are dead? Do they really think they're going to outrun the this band of Lakota warriors? So I don't know. It was curious. I, I guess I don't really have an answer, but I wanted to pose the question. It seemed interesting. But let, let's get to this conversation between James and the Lakota chief. Now, this Lakota chief having just had a conversation with James's daughter. Your daughter said you were hunting my family's killers. Not hunted them. Not killed them. Not left them in a sagebrush. You can scalp them. Do whatever you want. Your horses are grazing by the river, and we didn't touch your dead because I don't know your God and I don't know his rules. Our God has no rules, only ceremonies to know him better, or no rules. Do I still have a family? I don't know which is your family. Do I still have a daughter? Do I? No more fighting today. Their tracks led from the bodies of my family, my wife, children, my mother. We made war on your people, and your daughter stopped it. How'd she stop it? 
by being the best warrior of all. There are surgeons at the fort. Take her there and pray. I'll pray too. God and praying and respect for being a warrior. There's a lot happening in this conversation that I was loving. Let's talk about the God and the praying, though. It's interesting, you know, James says, I didn't touch your dead because I don't know your rules. I don't know your God. And the Lakota warrior doesn't lose a beat. He says, our God doesn't have rules, just ceremony so we can know him better, you know, or no rules. You know how I am about rites and rituals, but it's interesting, you know, it has ceremonies, but no rules kind of thing. They're so different than Christians, which which understand God almost exclusively through its rules and through the the rituals, you know, and the way you have to do this and then that. And you have to kneel and stand and say this and say that most Christian religions are governed by their rules. You know, but at the same time, though, at the end of the day, the Lakota warrior says, pray for your daughter and I'll pray too. So is that all that really matters at the end of the day is that, you know, we're all going to end up praying to the same God anyway? I think so. I think I think it's the spirituality versus religion. It's looking at organized religion and saying, like, you're doing a whole lot for not much when you could really just have a relationship with God um, and, for you know, in your own way without all these extra rules that, that someone just made up. Someone sat down and wrote it down, but, you know. I, that's that's how I look at it. And I'm they do kind of wrap up Elsa in terms of, you know, she's become this warrior. She's she's become what she wanted to become. They you know, she went from the cowboy to the warrior and and she, he's giving her all the credit for for ending this situation, you know, and, and those, those are the, all the things that she would have wanted, which oh, from remember all our reality TV talk that uh, when they start to kind of yep. tell you, you know, like they've. They've checked all their boxes. They've done all the things they wanted to do and that she doesn't want to go back to the society of wearing dresses. And let's let's play that clip because there there's a scene where she puts on the dress and Margaret comes over to her and starts to do her hair. And she says to her, oh, I wish I had a mirror. And Elsa makes this. She says to her, the mirror will be for you. Like, I'm dressed like this for you, not for me. And then we have this conversation. Uh, we have this voiceover from Elsa. Let's listen. The dress felt like a prison built just for me, choking me by the neck, digging into my underarms, flattening my breast against my ribcage. It disguises everything that makes me a woman, from the glare of jealous women and rapacious men, as if their lack of self-esteem and willpower should be my only concern. I will never live in that world again, where the weak would rather guilt the strong and become strong themselves. No, I will stay in this world. This world doesn't care what the weak want. This world eats the weak. I think she's calling her mother weak in that conversation. When you take in the mirror conversation of the mirror is for you, what I'm dressed like is for you. Like, this is not me. This doesn't represent me. And Lord knows she does look like she's being choked in that dress. And 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 you add in all the conversations that Margaret and Elsa have had about you have to live ultimately in a world of society and rules and dresses. This is your future. These are your rules. When she's having that conversation, she says, this world eats the weak and I'm not going to do it anymore. I think she's calling Margaret weak. I think she, ultimately she sees her mother as a part of the problem, which saddened me. 
but also I think is supported with the conversations that they've had, especially thinking about the last week's episode. Elsa wants to change what the world requires of her. And Margaret just understands through experience that that's not going to be possible. And we're, and we're not going to be able to walk into a new place like the fort where it's going to have all these existing rules and people and societal norms and all this kind of stuff and expect to just walk in there however you want. I couldn't agree more that, boy, they couldn't have picked a dress that looked more like a straight jacket at the end of the day. Um, it was so tight and so, so tight on on her neck and everything. I, I agree with you. I mean, Margaret is part of the problem overall in that she's unwilling to push back on everything, but it's a really big thing to push back on. And so I don't know that that Margaret, uh, I, I felt her anguish when she, when she kind of like raised her voice and was like, just do this already. Like it would be so tiring and exhausting to have this kiddo who constantly is like, but everything should be different. It should be different. It should be different. And it's like, we're not in the in the position right now to be able to enact any type of change. We're not going to be able to do that right now. And I just need you to stay safe until we can get to someplace where, I, and this is the part, this is the why that is always omitted. Stay safe until we can get to the place where we can figure out how you can change the world. Okay. If we could just say the why part of that, if we could just say, you know, she always just leaves it at like the just, just stay safe. If you could just stay safe, that's good enough. Elsa is a girl who needed to hear. And, and even if it was a big lie and they're willing to lie to her, let's just stay safe so we can get you to a place that we, ha- we can get our footing, everything can be settled, and then you can start changing the world. And we'll, we'll be behind you for that. Boy, would that have changed everybody's relationships. Were you surprised in watching the raid scene that ultimately it is Elsa who ends it? It's Elsa who anyone who walks out of that battle alive has Elsa to think about it. Elsa and her uh, Rosetta Stone Comanche language course that she's been taking. Well, what I actually thought in that moment was, okay, so that just just made the entire previous episode legitimate. Why we spend so much time, why we spend so much time with Sam, why we needed to have her make such a quick change and fall in love and become a wife and all this stuff like, oh, that's why we did it. Because we needed her to be at this level in order to be able to communicate with the Lakota and be taken seriously. So it was making me feel a little bit like, you know, all those people who audience members and and including us who were like, man, that was a long time to spend with Elsa. And that was very focused on this relationship with Sam. Why in the world would we do that? That just seemed even we had um, James and Margaret mocking it and being like, oh, gee, she's just going to fall in love with everyone. If she hadn't fallen in so deep to the point of learning language and and actually like starting to really embody this idea that she was the wife of a warrior so quickly, we couldn't have gotten there. So we had to have all of that happening. When someone binge watches this, I think that it, it's going to seem much more seamless than the way we were watching it like piecemeal. Mm, I agree with that. I agree with I agree with that for sure. But also, you know, I was thinking, man. Had she kept on her battle vest, her wedding, you know, uh, vest garment from Sam just a little bit longer, maybe they would have stopped and been like, hey, how come you're dressed like one of the Comanche? You know, maybe had that conversation before so many of the damn immigrants were dead. But let's listen to uh, Elsa talk some good Comanche words. Why do you know those words? My husband taught me. Why he know them? He's Comanche. 
Namana! They're his words! You fight like Comanche. We didn't kill your family. We found them. My father's hunting their killers right now. And if he's hunting them, he'll find them. What's your name? <laughs> Good name. Oh, watch that! I love that Lakota actor. I have to figure out who he is. I didn't write it down, but then I just just his entire reaction to the entire thing, like drenched in blood, scalps on their horses, you know, blood everywhere, and he's he's just so bemused that he's come across this Comanche warrior princess amongst these white people in this in this prison-like dress that she's wearing it ha- from his point of view this has to look fucking ridiculous you know but it works believable or not believable well it's what needed to happen to break the cycle of what was going on mm. you know like you know for him to be able to say there's not going to be any more fighting today i agree with you wholeheartedly had she kept on you know her comanche outfit and not been wearing the dress maybe things would have gone a little differently for her maybe she doesn't get the arrow through the belly which we have superbly danced around for the last hour we haven't talked about that but yeah i mean i think that she had to have that moment to just kind of snap him out of it for a second and have him realize like he didn't actually know who he was even shooting at and so once he had that like aha like hang on a second maybe we ought to be like putting our weapons away for a second and actually like figuring this out now to be fair the amount of loss that that man had endured that day was catastrophic right i mean can you imagine i mean your mom your kids your wife everybody i mean well i I love that i love that Deserves to be insane at this point, yeah. you know. I love that you brought that up because when James asks him the question, he says, "Do I still have a family left?" And he's like, "I don't know who your family." He's like, "Do I still have a daughter left?" Because they at least knew who the daughter was, you know, lightning yellow hair. He stops and he doesn't answer right away because one, he knows there's a be- he knows there's an arrow sticking out of the girl's belly, right? He knows mm-hmm. that she's probably in a bad way, and so his answer is more, "Why I did what I did." And I, and I think that was such a smart rationalization was his, it wasn't yes or no. It was, I found my whole family dead and mutilated and, and desecrated. And I found your people. And so I made war with them because I put two and two together and it was four was the best answer I had to come up with there. But she may still be alive. Then he gets around to it. He is like, you know, take her to us, you know, but she was the best warrior. We ended the raid because of her. So he doesn't really answer the question. He gives more of a justification for the actions that James doesn't know what's happened. He hasn't seen the remnants of the wagon trail, the circled wagons and all that. So this is his first explanation. I thought it was really smart. I thought it was really interesting writing because even the Lakota, even this warrior takes his interaction with Elsa made him stop and think about what we've done and our motivations for doing it are we justified did we go too far you know there's a scene where she's talking and he says to her you fight like comanche and her response is she throws the rock in her hand yeah you know and he doesn't but he doesn't hit her you know like he 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 like reverses the tomahawk candle and like bops her on the head kind of thing but he gets it too he gets her pain and anguish too it's a really reset moment see i don't think he 
I know you just said Bob does not really even think about what you're saying, but he kind of rubbed the stick on her head. And I kind of took that as a very um, actually more like calming kind of moment of like, chill out, chill out. Like, don't throw a rock again. Like, we're not doing this anymore. Like, we're done now. Um, kind of move. It was It was a strange thing, but it wasn't like he hit her or anything. No, no, I, I meant bop in like a, like he just like taps her on the head, but I think I, I took it, I think like you. kind of rubbing it on her head though. I, I took it more of a, this is over. Like we are no longer yeah. fighting kind of thing. Yeah. That that was, you know, when uh, Mr. Miyagi, Be calm. <laughs> when Mr. Miyagi, you know, uh, honks the nose of the Cobra Kai guy at the end of yes. Karate Kid, you know, he, yes. he has his palm strike up, but he's like, Ark. you know, right. it's kind of, it was that it was, it this is fight is done. It That's what he was doing. And, yeah. and it, and it was needed because she was still, you know, I mean, she was in fight or flight, you know, very warranted. She has an arrow sticking out of her stomach. sticking out of her stomach. Yeah. Let's talk about about the arrow sticking out of her stomach i mean we have this situation where they show us removing the arrow i was flinching and cringing the screaming oh my god the cauterizing it was like that sound of that singeing skin oh my god and then to have james and margaret have to examine this arrow and look at the tip i seem to remember some something from like elementary school or something where they taught us that there was actually poison on some of those tips i thought that's um, where they were going with that but then it, but it turned more into just basic dirty arrow that yeah, james basic points just out. yeah that that was just going to be too much the conversation between james and margaret is important and i think we need to talk about the loss of knowing her child is going to to die and the pragmatism that james shows there but let's back up because i think this was good foreshadowing for what was going to unfold in the rest of the episode and maybe for the rest of elsa's storyline before wade pulls out the arrowhead and they wrap her up and cauterize the wound wound she keeps telling everyone uh there's no pain Let, let's listen to this clip right here i felt no pain Perhaps it was the fever of the fire, but it didn't hurt. I thought of pushing it through. I thought better of it. As my father would say, the one good thing about problems is there'll still be problems later. Don't have to deal with them right away. There is no pain, and perhaps it was the fever of the fight. Really interesting choice of words at the time, even more so when you hear James and Margaret talking about what she's going to be going through, that there is going to be fever. There is going to be pain. It just I thought it was I thought it was interesting when I thought back to those words based on how the episode ends up and where it looks like her storyline's gonna go. Just smart. And her being in denial of the pain until they pull it out and then they cauterize the wound and then she passes out from the hot iron cauterizing it. She doesn't feel any pain. She's invincible. The adrenaline is pumping so hard. But the fever of the fight, I thought, was a really interesting line. Let's talk about the conversation between James and Margaret as we get to the finish of this episode here. Uh, did your heart break? Where I mean, I, I am, I'm not going to say I cried, but I definitely started to get teary-eyed when Margaret is kind of in denial mode. And he says, she's the light of my life and she's going to die. Whew. That is that is a rough thing to hear, and and I I love how stoic he is when he says it, but it's also like a dagger in the heart too. 
I tried to think very hard if I had really been in a position of feeling this level. And despite the fact that my twin girls were in the NICU for six months and there were definitely days when it was life or death for sure. We never had the scenario of having someone who was awake and alert and understood what was happening to them and having to parent in that situation. So I realized I couldn't actually relate and I I didn't have a scenario that really matched up. So for me, it just started to become like this emotional processing of I don't know what I what I would be able to handle in that moment. And you know, the the fact that James makes the decision that we're going to lie to her and we're going to tell her that she's fine. I wondered a little bit if that was necessary from the standpoint of Elsa can handle the truth, I think. I mean, she figures it out 10 seconds later, really. Um, but it was surprising to me that there wasn't some thought just for a moment of do we tell her because because she might make her own decisions this kind of goes back to our immigrant conversation of like you know these these people deserve to make decisions on their own and and by lying to her in a way you know it's not like i think she's going to spend an afternoon you know just like i don't know doing something where she would regret not having done something more exciting or fun or anything because she didn't know she only had x amount of days left to live but there does seem to be something kind of disregarding Elsa's actual character and and who she is and her values and all she's lived through to just decide to lie to her immediately. It's something that you could decide if we didn't know Elsa and or she was a younger child. But there's something about her that I actually think she would just appreciate the truth. I agree with you. I agree with you. I want to I, I was thinking about this, too, and, and I, I count myself so lucky that uh, I've never had to worry about something like this. I've never had to have the thought or the conversation that James and Margaret are having here. But, you know, my son is precious to me. And I think about the, you know, the, the worst things that could happen all the time because I'm a worry wart. And a, and a helicopter dad, but I'm thinking of the line from last week's episode where James is telling Margaret that his fear is a selfish fear, that his fear is not her being wild or free. Her, his fear is that she won't be around him every day. And she and he won't get to see her grandchildren grow, you know. Now, in that context, they were talking about whether if she goes back to live with Sam and, and the Comanche, but it's still a selfish fear, but now it's the death of their daughter, her not being around as, as the cause, her death, not her going to live somewhere else. But the fear is still the same. And I wonder if their decision to lie to her is born out of that that fear that maybe if they were to tell her the truth, maybe she decides that she wants to go spend her final days with Sam. Maybe she forces them to turn around. Maybe she or, or just rides off and they can't stop her. And and from their point of view, yes, they're denying her her agency here, even though she does figure it out. But they're still going to not say the words out loud. It's their way of keeping her close because it's Elsa. You don't know what she's going to do. She may be like, I have to go back to Sam. I have to. He has to be the last thing I see. I think you already know exactly what I'm going to say. I don't even know if I have to say it. Well, say it for everyone else. They don't have any right. They don't have any right to do this to her. You know, like, it's so wrong. It's so 
ignoring all of her growth and all of this, you know, I, gosh, how much have we talked about James saying, you're an adult, you're an adult, you're an adult. And I am, I get it. I so understand. I mean, I have three kids too. I do understand you have to know your own child. If your own child three is kids the type. Who are their, her age. I mean, and right in her age group. Exactly her age. You have to know your own child. And if your own child is somebody who would collapse and cry and worry and not and be basically like paralyzed in fear, knowing that they were going to die, then and, and for me, that, those are the types of situations I have. And I think you do, too, where it would not do them any good to know that they were going to die. This this isn't going to be something that's going to help them live their last days. But Elsa's different than that, where if she did choose to go and turn back and go live and make love to her husband and do that like my god you're instead gonna make her be a little girl on this drudgery path with you guys heading somewhere that she doesn't want to go you know like and i i understand that we want to bury her wherever we're going to settle and all that and that was a good rationale and important for the audience to get that like this is why we're doing how we're doing this the way we're doing this but man, man, would I be angry if, if, for someone to take that away from me? I mean, how would you personally feel? Would you want to know? Oh, I would so that you know. could plan sure. your time. <laughs> sure, I would want to know. But I get it as a dad. I get why they do it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I agree with it. But I also totally understand why they do it the way they do it. Growth aside adult aside it's their little girl it's their little girl and she's going to die and they are going to have to watch that happen you know let, let's talk about that decision because james james doesn't really brook any conversation in this he says you were a nurse how many liver shots one how many liver shots did you see make it through right because when your liver gets nicked and starts dumping toxins into your body that's a death sentence especially at this time and on top of it, with the contaminated arrowhead, you know, to boot. I mean, so it's two strikes. Either of them by themselves may be a death sentence together. And, and Margaret, when she admits it to herself, doesn't really argue with him. Are they wrong to not try? I mean, even the Lakota warrior says the fort's got surgeons. Even he knows the fort's got surgeons. Are they making mistakes by not trying to save her life? Is James making the call here? Is he being too dispassionate? Is he being too pragmatic? You know, shouldn't they race, do the cookie race to the fort in four hours and try as whatever they can to save her? Well, I think that's the part where we have to put ourselves back in the time we are. I think right now... You know, in modern day, I think we have a lot of hope and a lot of, uh, you know, truly innovative options for people for treatment. But, you know, in the 1880s, I, <laughs> I mean, this is bad stuff, you know, I mean, sure. and that's the thing, like, like to put her through some sort of surgery where we know she's just going to die on the table kind of thing. And, and Margaret, I have to give all of my critical thinking over to Margaret in terms of that she did work in the Civil War and she does know the medical side. And if there were some sort of magic way to fix this, I do feel like she would have some amount of two cents to add to the conversation. But because she resigns to this so quickly, I have to think that no, I mean, they're trying to tell us that there's not the medical treatment, you yeah. know, 
that was my feeling too i just was i was looking for you know just playing devil's advocate i agree i agree with what james does here and i think it's courageous on his part uh i agree with you that they should discuss it with her given who she is they should discuss it with elsa but as a dad who is overly attached to my son uh i i i totally also understand why he doesn't and why why they choose the selfish choice here see but this is a situation too where we've lived very different lives because i mean i have children who have had i mean one has had eight eye surgeries there's some things you don't do to your child because the recovery and or the procedure itself when you weigh it against what is actually going to happen to your child and, and can they handle it you have to make decisions that are difficult to make but you you cannot just jump in like that and say no 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 go ahead and cut everything and do whatever like you've not been in that situation but i can tell you it's a situation where it's so complicated and i man just having recently toured washington's uh, headquarters and seeing like the bullets to bite on and the freaking medieval dentistry gear and all that stuff oh my god it would be very hard to sign your kid up for any type of treatment one person who stood up in this episode that we haven't really talked about too much because he hasn't had too much to do since he joined is Colton. Colton has a couple of big scenes in this. One, he's the one who sucks the poison out. He stomps on the snake and sucks the poison out of Joseph, trying to save Joseph's life. But he has an emotional arc in this episode towards the end where he finds, I believe that's Alina, the Italian pants maker, who has been scalped and full of arrows, but is still alive and maybe gone a bit mad. Let's play this clip here. This is him making the decision to shoot her, even though he doesn't really want to. Ma'am, look at me. Can you tell me your name? Do you remember it? I don't know the Lord's Prayer. But if there is a God, He will not keep you out of heaven for what I don't know. You deserve peace. And the same did. that's the inciting moment and then he picks up that three dollar metal tray i mean maybe too soon you know rest in peace cookie that he's definitely gonna have to you know pay cookie some money for the tray that he uses as a shovel he starts beginning digging a grave and then is still at it when shay finds him later that night and they have this clip about what he did he gone mad wild like a rabid dog scalped her killed her husband stuck her full of airs what was i supposed to do Leave her there to suffer and take three days to die? You did the right thing. I know. It just... (laughs) It don't feel right. Don't do that. You made a decision. You did what you thought was decent. Was it decent? Who knows? What the hell is decent out here? What's the gauge? You're the gauge. You made a decision. Now stand by it. Right or wrong, you fucking stand by it. 
you know, he has to pump him up there and he eventually gets Colton to say that he made the right decision and he is going to stand by it. But man, I, I give I give Colton a lot of uh, credit here. Noah LaGrosse is playing Colton. Real emotional arc for a character that we'd only been seen being kind of laughy and smiley really had to turn on, you know, a real dramatic emotional turn here at the end of the episode. Well, and, and obviously this huge break in his psyche where, I mean, he is sitting there an hour later, you know, still digging at this ground with this this little pan and, and just sobbing and just trying so hard to complete this task. And, and the conversation with Shay was important, but I think just looking at Colton alone, even if she hadn't shown up, even if Shay had not shown up, just looking at him, watching him, the panic, the feverishness, the, the trying to make this right for this woman – that's so much insight into Colton. Amazing. And I have to say, as as a person who lives around where snakes are, I am absolutely going to try this throw the blanket or the or the coat over the snake. I never considered that part. I, I have killed the snake with a hoe. I've chopped its head off. I've done a bunch of different stuff, but I never considered you could throw something on top and then just stomp around. Really TV smart. taught me something today. Yeah. I think I think the lives will be saved watching Colton's uh, snake stomping. Uh, and then he gets to, and then he gets to unwrap it for is it James I think later on he gets to show the snake and he kind of like ta-da and like pull his coat off of it. Now I wouldn't want to put that coat back on after it had stump snake guts in it, but um, yeah, Colton, <laughs> Colton fast thinking. I mean, it takes a lot to get down there and start sucking venom out of someone's leg. You know, he's a cowboy. He's a just like Wade. These are these are professional cowboy. They know what they're doing. They know how to triage these situations. If you're gonna go into battles, have to circle the wagons. People like Colton and Wade, the kind of the guys you want to be by, I think, if you're going to be stuck in that situation. I, I like this conversation with Shay because this got to be this is where Shay shines for me, where he gets to be this mentor role. We've seen it with Elsa. We've seen it now with Colton. He, he really shines as someone who has wisdom in his years. And sometimes you need to hear that there's no gauge for what's decent out here except for you. You're the gauge. And so you made a choice. You have to stand by it. If you think you were right, you were right. And that's all that matters. And no one can no one can say otherwise because no one else was in that situation. We forget that. I think there are situations throughout our lives where we're the only ones who really get to judge the situation. But we forget that. And so we, we take on a lot of extra stress. I don't know. I, th- I felt like this was a this this conversation from Shay transcended the specific event in Colton's life. I think the only thing we really have to talk about is maybe predictions for what we think is coming up in the season finale and beyond, and and the immigrants, the status of some of the immigrants that we've kind of gotten to know and love. Uh, <laughs> surprise, Noemi seems like she's made it through unscathed. There's a fun conversation about Shay refers to, to tells Thomas, it's, "How's your woman?" Yeah, Thomas tries to act all cool about it. I was like, "Your lady, Good boy, says, knock it off, knock it off, just friggin' own it." Uh, you know, Shay has a great little line in that conversation. You know, he says either get tough or you die trying in this country, you know, which which their journey certainly seems to prove true over and over again. I think we have lost Alina, the Italian pants maker, um, which uh, is sad. Yes. <laughs> Uh, she seems very, very dead. Um, but let's talk about Joseph and Riza. You know, in a lot of ways, a little bit of the emotional heart, uh, at least of the immigrants, if not for the whole show. What's your prediction here? Because as far as I know, we don't see either of them at the back end of the episode. Once the raid begins, I don't think we see them. Now, 
I call on eagle eye viewers. There are the crosses we see, and obviously cookies is obvious because it's got the utensils done in the cross, which I thought was cute and 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 sweet. But some of the other crosses have little bits of clothing tied to them, identifiers. I'm curious if anyone can tie specific ribbon or hats. I think there's some fabric and stuff tied to certain of the crosses. If you can match them with some of the travelers we've seen on the show, nothing stood out to me belonging either to Joseph or Riza. Carolyn, I'm curious if you have a guess on their on their fate. It seems fitting that Joseph would die and Risa would live from the standpoint of like being a woman in the world and where I think we're kind of heading for some of that stuff. And Joseph having, you know, quote unquote, gotten her into this situation. However, the extent of the injury on Risa seemed far more. So I have to think that she is much more in danger of the one who is dying. I don't think we lose both of them because I think we create that widow situation again where somebody's got to be sort of taking care of and and there'll be more conversations then for Shay, especially if we lose Elsa. It's going to be one or the other. Risa's injury seems a lot more, a lot more dire to me. I don't know if they got the snake, if they got the venom out. I assume he did. I assume he did too. It, it, seemed, it would seem like splitting hairs to have the scene of Colton sucking the venom out for him not to have gotten all of it out or enough of it out for Joseph to live. My guess is Riza has died uh, following the raid. She just didn't get the help she would have needed if she was if she was able to live at all. She didn't get the help at the fort that she's going to need in the time. So I think she dies as a result of the raid. I think Joseph lives. I think. Taylor Sheridan has a thing about making women pay the ultimate price and die as a narrative. I think that is a part of his writing. I think the widow thing makes a lot of sense to me. Killing them both doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Also, Joseph is in the regular cast and Riza has always been uh, in the recurring cast. So, yeah. uh, just but using And some... I think you could have a lot of bonding between Shay and Joseph with all that and maybe right. kind of finally start to get through that, the communication barriers and, and the cultural barriers and just kind of see each other as two men who have lost their wives. Also, I'm thinking of your reality uh, staging for characters. Remember, think back to the very end of last week's episode. You know, I was I was so happy because I was I was talking about the pioneer spirit that finally seemed to have gripped the group, and I used Risa as a specific explanation of that or an example of that she's riding the horse and she's doing little loops and she tells joseph don't stop speaking german we're americans now and she says uh, you know he says well you be the cowboy i'm going to keep riding in the wagon if you look at the end of last week it has the feeling of a Risa ride-off, right? Her final hurrah, she finally gets some attention. She's the one finally really embracing this American spirit. It makes sense then in the Taylor Sheridan way of doing things that she would then die the next episode. Yeah, and that injury looked bad. It looked I mean, bad. She gets dumped right on her goddamn head. Like, I mean, when the horse when the horse dumps her, the stunt person that they had do it looked like a suitcase had gotten like crumpled up. Like it yeah, it's bad. Her, it's all bad. her bones seemed like shattered. It looked yeah. real bad. Real bad, real bad. And the not being able to hold down water, yeah. Real, real, real bad. I mm. I think I think we're gonna see next week. Uh Risa did not make it. I would be surprised otherwise. And you know what? It's possible that she will be the stand-in for someone who's going to get surgery at the fort and we're going to see what the outcome could have been for elsa Mm. in terms of the agony and the pain and the gruesome horrible reality of what surgery is in 1883 and so i think that that might actually help 
audiences be like, why, for what you were saying, why don't they take Elsa to the fort? And what, what, how bad could surgery, if they try to do some procedure on her, I think it's going to shake some people. Just as a last little bit, I was curious what you thought about, and this is just to circle up as we come, as we take this uh, episode in for a landing. There's that uh, scene where Elsa wakes in the tent and James is there. And James, by the way, looks so funny now to me without his hat on. Thought he looked actually a little derpy because he's. I totally felt like that was the first time I had seen him without his hat on. But then I was like, no, certainly when he was in the tub, he didn't have a hat on. But no, I agree. It looks so odd. It it looked like he was missing an arm or something. Like I was like, what is wrong? And then I'm like, oh, he doesn't have his hat on. It looks so different. I just, I just kept saying to myself, put your hat on, put your hat on. And then he puts his hat on when he leaves the tent. I'm like, thank God. But they had that conversation about praying. And again, praying was one of the themes. Praying in God was one of the themes here and elsa says to him you don't pray daddy that i don't know if that's an exact quote but that's a thrust of it she says but you don't pray daddy and he says no i pray all the time it just hasn't worked out and i thought that was an interesting exchange because again elsa has this idea of and has formed part of her own identity in part in large part based around who she sees james is and how she wants to emulate him you know you can imagine prayer and religion and god uh, learning that you didn't understand your parents position on it at all it would be like a really interesting development and i'm curious if it if that changes or spurs some kind of change in elsa's next phase of her life whatever is remaining of it in her relationship to god learning that her father not only believes in god but prays to a god because the question is i think this episode and raises is how do you pray to a god that you think hates you how do you pray to a god that either is ambivalent about you and doesn't carry the way or hates you or worse is ambivalent and doesn't care one way or another about you which is i can't kind of think where elsa is now to learn that your father prays and just felt feels like it hasn't been successful i also feel that anytime your father admits some sort of futility in what he's doing or i i, I hesitate to say the word weakness because that's not quite right but vulnerability some sort of- some sort of failing though Mm. like i'm praying but it isn't working out like you want to think that your father can accomplish anything he sets his mind to and so the idea that he's saying i tried this all the time and it doesn't work for me it just doesn't come around there's something about that that feels you're right very vulnerable but also just sort of like a it strips away that sense that your father is invincible and can do anything It, it starts to kind of show his humanity and his just softer side in a way and 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 you start to do you know there's that moment and we did it with margaret where you you go from seeing your your parent as from like a mom to a woman i think in a lot of ways this scene for me made you see james no longer just as like this infallible hero on the horseback but his hat off his admitting that things don't work out the way he'd like them to work out um despite trying that you know that's 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 a real like my father is is not uh, invincible anymore yeah. yeah and then that's hard to hard to take in guys this episode was a real ringer uh, an emotional roller coaster one i wasn't prepared for i i, I suspect that's going to be a common theme people maybe were bracing for this episode to be the finale 
I don't know where we go from here. I, I honestly, I have, I mean, I threw out some theories at the beginning and the where she dies is where we'll live and, and that's going to come into play. I don't know if that comes into play in the season finale. Do you have any, do you feel confident, Caroline, about any good predictions about what we're going to see next week? <laughs> Only that I think it's going to be bigger and more crazy than we could have imagined a 10 being. Because I think when we saw the cold open, we wrapped our arms around that and said, this is going to be in the finale episode and mm-hmm. we kind of understand where we're heading. And the fact that they felt comfortable enough that they have a storyline that is going to, you know, explode our brains hard enough that they could give up this storyline in nine. Uh, I, I I predict the fort. I think I don't I don't know. I, I know you're saying we're going to jump all the way to the Yellowstone Ranch. But well, we know we have to end there now. Right. So it's just a question of when does that carry over into season two? Or, I think so. Yeah. I think whatever these ordered next episodes, because, again, I hesitate to even totally embrace this concept of season two. So season one and a but, half. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the like you said, I think calling it a bridge is a perfect wording. Like now that we know that 1932 is greenlit, then, OK, now as a storyteller, he has to somehow get us to 1932. So we have something here that's going to happen happen but it's going to have to spread out i don't know that because he didn't even know 1932 existed i that does make me think well maybe we do have to jump all the way to the ranch because if this is where 1883 would have ended then don't we have to end there but then god there's so much more of this journey to be had how do we just leave like risa with this broken body and joseph with this thing you know like oh and i know creative storytellers and certainly taylor sheridan is can wrap crap up in like one second where you're like holy smokes we just wrap that entire storyline up if we do not have an agony scene of risa in surgery or joseph in surgery at a fort i will be shocked I will be shocked. I think that the historical ramification of understanding where we are medically is so important to the Elsa story that I think we have to have that. I like that. That makes a lot of sense to me. I I feel like we're also going to have a parting of a ways. I think you're probably right that jumping all the way to Montana and the founding of the ranch is probably a lot for one episode, even though my guess is we haven't seen it yet. hasn't been released yet for screeners yet. It's probably going to be supersized. Taylor's pretty good about doing longer episodes for his finales, but maybe, maybe it's the parting of the ways. Maybe it's Shay and Thomas and the immigrants continuing west to Oregon, to the coast, to the beach. And it's the Duttons heading north for that land that James knows he'll see it when he sees it, but where they're not there yet. Maybe that's where the finale ends, a parting of the ways kind of thing, a very end of like Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings, you know, where the fellowship breaks up kind of, you know, it's now time for them to separate and go. I don't know. I don't know. It's whatever it is. I agree with you. It's going to be large. It's going to be impactful. It's probably going to be an emotional roller coaster. So I think so. I, I expect that very much. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you guys for listening to the Yellowstone podcast, 1883 episodes. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple podcasts, Spotify podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate review and subscribe while you're there. If you could leave us a five star rating, that would be fantastic. It helps promote the show. It helps give us visibility, it helps us out in the charts. And you know what? You're the light of our lives, and we don't want to die. So please give us a five-star review. Please make sure to check out our written content over on Pop Culture Review as our sister company. There's many, many great extra pictures and extra information over there. So please go check it out. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. 
Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.